welcome to the Adversity Psychologist podcast, a podcast incorporating narratives about facing and navigating adversity, a mixture of people, their experiences and professional psychological discussion. I'm Dr. Tara Quintarillo. I'm a qualified and regulated psychologist with over 20 years experience of mental health, disability and human behaviour. I want to share people's stories of navigating adversity in the hope that through being heard, a dose of compassion and some understanding, we can help others in the face of adversity too. Um, Hi and welcome to the Adversity Psychologist podcast. I'm Dr. Tara Quintarillo and today, this is a super exciting because you were the very first person that I went on a podcast with. So I have with me today a special guest. I'm going to let her introduce herself and tell us a little bit about who she is. Well, it's a real pleasure to be here. And I'm so pleased that I was your first podcast. I didn't know that. Um, so I so I am uh, Dr. Rosie Gilderthorpe. I'm a clinical psychologist and I specialise in pregnancy, birth and early parenthood. Um, and basically helping us to be the parents that we want to be during what can be a really challenging time. My particular fascination or obsession, as my husband might call it, is with (laughs) severe sickness in pregnancy. And that's what we're here to talk about today. I also do have a podcast for other psychologists and therapists, which is the one you were talking about earlier, I think. So I think that's what's going to be really important for the show notes. So I have really detailed show notes and I keep them up to date with new things, um, which is what I like. I want people to get free stuff, nowhere to go. So you have to cut a bit strings to your bow. So we'll make sure that we put all of your links in the show notes and in my social media bits. So let's get on to something we were having a little bit of a chuckle about because I can't say this word and we're both worried we're going to mess it up. <laughs> so there's a formal word for this, isn't there? We call it HG. So shall I have a go and say, so it's hyperemeresis gravidarum. Is that right? So oh. close. Hyperemesis gravidarum. gravidarum. <laughs> But do you know what? I would be pretty happy if we chucked away the labels, because at least from a mental health perspective, I think all they do is convince people who are really suffering that they're not suffering enough to deserve help. I mean, how often do we hear that across the board? Labels tend to do that to people. And, And really, I prefer to call it severe pregnancy sickness. And, and your definition of severe is good enough. Because for me, it's all about quality of life. If you have sickness in pregnancy, that means you can't do what you yeah. normally yeah. do. You can't go to work. You can't socialize. You, you can't enjoy anything in your life, then it's severe and you deserve support with that. If, if anybody listening to this only takes that away, if they have to leave and turn off the podcast now, I'd be happy. If, if people could just remember that you deserve help. Yeah, that's everything to me. I'm so glad you've literally done the whole podcast in a nutshell because I (laughs) actually, with both my sons, didn't have any morning sickness. So that's probably not going to go down well. So I had never even heard of severe morning sickness until the Princess of Wales and her first experience with pregnancy and then her subsequent pregnancies as well. But even then, I was really aware of the media making an issue out of, well, how severe is it? And she was actually out of action for a long time, missed public events, didn't she? And I didn't know whether that was interesting to bring in then in terms of how we put onto other people how they should feel and, you know, thinking about just employers' rights, all of those things, how you can explain to other people how you're feeling and what you can do maybe also to empower yourself then to get the support you need during your pregnancy. Absolutely. Well, I think it's interesting that you mentioned um, the Princess of Wales, because I remember at the time that I experienced my first um, severe sickness pregnancy. 
a lot of people said to me, oh, that's what, um, what do we call her at the time? Kate had. And I was like, yes. But then the follow-up was always, but she was hospitalized. And so there were people in my life literally telling me that I didn't have severe sickness because I wasn't hospitalized, even though I couldn't work for long periods of time. I don't think for my entire pregnancy, I enjoyed anything or did anything other than be sick and then feel guilty about not going to work. Um, It was a really, really miserable existence. And sometimes that comparison wasn't particularly helpful to me. But, But that's essentially what we're saying, isn't it? It's not about comparison. It's about looking at your quality of life. And I think then the next step is to know that there is support available which I only found out after I'd had my third baby, which makes me really sad yes, when I look back yeah, now. Yeah, absolutely. Because I guess one of the things, is when you think about, I know when I was thinking about starting a family, I had all of these ideas in my head of how it would go and what the timeline would be. And it was nothing like that in terms of the timeline. And I went through all sorts of things, but not morning sickness, but a lot of other things that really got in the way of that kind of lovely picture I painted in my head and how, and, and I had difficult births and, and it was really quite a difficult time. But as I look back now, there's little bits of disappointment I still have to make room for. Of, oh, I hear, hear stories from other people, how their pregnancies were, how their births were and how soon they got pregnant, all of these things. And it is very, very difficult and that stuff stays with you. But I didn't have to navigate some of the more logistical stuff then in terms of employers. I didn't need time off work. And I was very aware as a psychologist of planning my maternity leave and what to do with my caseload. So there's so much we could talk about, isn't there? But what I'm really, really grateful for is that you're sharing your own personal story. So the idea behind this podcast is that we have guests on who've had their own personal experience as well as experts. And sometimes in your case, it's, it's both worlds, isn't it? Is it okay then to draw on some examples from your own experience as well as those people that, that you work with? Um, for you particularly then, coming back to the kind of disappointment, and the, is it all right to talk a little bit more about what that was like and how you began to explain to other people what you were going through? Yes, I mean, to start with, I didn't have much of a language for it because I, I sort yeah. of thought it was normal. Um, because how could you possibly know? You don't know what other people are going through. Yes. So yeah. I found out that I was pregnant, but I'd already been feeling sick for a few weeks then. It started right. incredibly early for me. So, we, you know, we'd wanted a baby for quite a long time. I was excited, but I was already feeling pretty dodgy. So the first disappointment really came from, you know, that first day when you get the positive test result and I didn't really feel anything other than sick. Yes, yeah. And I still feel robbed by that. You can probably tell it really affects me that there wasn't this kind of jumping around the house, you know, celebratory moment. It was more like, oh, that explains it then. Um, and then from, from there on out, really, I, I gradually had to come to terms with the fact that I wasn't going to be the kind of pregnant woman that is like working out, running marathons until the last minute. I was incredibly yes. fit and active. And that was that was really how I managed the stress of you know, being a psychologist in the NHS. Yeah, absolutely. All my strategies for managing were physical ones. So I did yoga, I did um, running, I did high intensity training, I did weightlifting. I couldn't do any of it. And it was literally overnight. I woke up one morning and I was just much too sick and much too weak to attempt any of it. So it wasn't this kind of gradual easing in that I'd always thought 
pregnancy sickness yes. might be like it was like yeah suddenly the dark cloud has descended I can't do anything and um, so that was that was a lot to come to terms with very very quickly what's interesting though is you mentioned about the stress of having to tell your boss your employer and I was in, incredibly anxious about it but I had the yeah, most supportive team I mean, I couldn't describe a more supportive team. My, my manager, I'd actually never met him until um, the day that he came in to meet me for the first time and I had to run sick. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to tell you right now, even though it's much earlier than I'd planned to tell anybody, but there's no other explanation for this incredibly antisocial behaviour. Um, and then very shortly after that, I disappeared. And he really didn't get to know me until I came out the other side, which was weeks and weeks and weeks. But I got nothing but support from managers, supervisors, colleagues. Everybody was wonderful. And I think many, many people I work with don't don't get that response. Um, Yes. Yeah. That kind of luck of the draw almost. And do you think things have moved on at all? So, because is it right to say how many children? Yeah, you have yeah, I've now? got three, um, and my youngest is eighteen months now. Um, I don't know about employers because I've been self-employed for my second two. My suspicion would be that people are welcome to talk about it, but when it comes yes. to impacting on the business, whether that is public sector or private sector, you're still going to get pushback because yes. people are stressed yes. right now. Um, the state of the economy won't have helped people's thinking when it comes to these compassionate issues. And I imagine if you Absolutely. if you take a problem like this to a stressed manager, it's probably not going to go so well. So my, my theory would be that there is more awareness, but that doesn't necessarily mean there's more understanding. In terms of kind of what you're met with and the good old, you know, compassion fatigue is a word people are using now or a That's phrase a people one. are using, aren't they, from the pandemic? That And some people are under pressure, aren't they, that if having an employee that's missing or absent from work for periods of time impacts the business on some level as well. Do you know something really struck me then as well? You were saying about autonomy as well, about choosing mm. how and when to share your news and, and who with. But with something like sickness, it's pretty difficult to hide. And as you say, that's a really good example of behaviour that you think, actually, this is going to get noticed and potentially there's judgment there but how then you choose and how much autonomy you have over that yeah and I found that devastating actually because I you know my my first daughter was my parents first grandchild right and I knew how excited they would be about that and so I'd really spent a lot of time kind of dreaming about that moment when I would tell them yeah and actually it didn't happen like that at all I had to tell everybody very early doors um so I was still very anxious you know I'm naturally a fairly anxious person um, and was quite concerned about the health of the pregnancy which again that's something we might talk about more later but I think when you're feeling really bad that really fuels that evolutionary response to become concerned about the health of your baby even when there might not be evidence that the baby is being affected and I was incredibly lucky that I was never at the point where the baby's life was in danger it does happen but I, I didn't get anywhere near that point um but I was still really concerned about it from very early on because when you've got all of that going on in your body I think there's a little part of your brain that just goes how can this be okay yeah Um, really helpful in the critic that's there to go listen to my ideas you need to pay attention to this right now even and there is something that strikes me just when you feel sick poorly like that it's just awful it's really all consuming isn't it out of all of the symptoms that we might have in life 
and this you is know, it. yeah the effect on your cognition your mood anxiety levels as you say it can be quite wide-ranging can't it yeah and there's something powerful about nausea where it has this ability to draw our attention to it Uh, again i think as a kind of survival mechanism because you really need to attend to it don't you You don't want to keep eating the poison (laughs) um so i think it's my theory anyway why we have this very strong kind of tunnel vision towards nausea when we experience it and and certainly what I found was, you know, I couldn't believe it when I would see things in the media of women like being sick into a bin and then carrying on with the meeting. Yes, because there was no possibility of that for me. And at the time, I thought that's because I was weak. I thought, oh, I'm just rubbish at nausea. I kept saying to people, I'm just really bad at this pregnancy. You know, all all I do is think about where I'm going to be sick next. I, I, I could not think about anything else other than could I be sick in there or would that be like too shallow? (laughs) And, and I had all these it's real detail there. as well without being too graphic but when you're that poorly yeah. you're having to not just think about where but all of those other factors as well yeah and but that consumed yes. me entirely um and and it, it really it was difficult for me to come to terms with the fact that I couldn't concentrate on anything else I couldn't watch telly yeah. I couldn't I couldn't look at my phone there was nothing other than thinking about this nausea but this is why mindfulness helps. Um, so I, I think, you know, I was planning today to talk a little bit about the hopeful yes. stuff as well as how horrible it is, because if there's anybody listening who's in it, then they already know that it's the worst thing in the whole wide world. Um, but, you know, there are things we can do to empower ourselves to not necessarily take the nausea away, but to reclaim a little piece of who we are. I was are going to ask what language, we're yeah, what do you it? use to talk? Sometimes I use that word navigate, but I overly use that, I feel. But, you know, from your experience then, what do you call it as you're going through that? Do you have a word? Or- yeah, for me, it's very much about reclaiming myself because I felt that I lost myself entirely during that first pregnancy. I didn't have any idea who I was, what I wanted in life. There was nothing other than nausea. And to an extent, you know, we can't make the nausea go away. Although, as you'll probably be thinking, if we get very upset by the nausea and we're really anxious about it, as I was, that definitely makes it worse physically. Right. Because of course it's the nervous system, isn't it? So that nervous system, that fight or flight response, makes you feel sick so it's mindfulness in itself is not going to get rid of severe pregnancy sickness but what it can do is kind of soften the edges a bit Um, and there is some evidence actually that EMDR therapy can reduce sensitivity to triggers so a lot of people after the first few weeks have passed they'll find that lots of smells sounds changes in temperature lots of sensory stimuli trigger vomiting very quickly and what we found with emdr and it's in the early stages of the research but i think it's extremely exciting and it kind of makes sense is that we can use emdr to desensitize to some of those triggers so again you're not going to take it away but that could bring somebody down from the really high numbers you know i've worked with people that have been vomiting you know hundreds of times Gosh. a day um if we can reduce those even by a small amount then we can you know help that 
pregnant person and help the baby maintain their health because that is when you get to the level where somebody's got to be an inpatient in hospital and everybody's very concerned for for both the, the parent and the child. So for somebody listening who this may be a brand new topic or as you say they're in the early stages of pregnancy and maybe starting to notice symptoms or thinking about it it's quite important for us to just kind of just touch on the medical stuff a bit even though not medical doctors that obviously you know when you're vomiting that much presumably you can get dehydrated you're not going to get the right amount of nutrients and that's where we're talking about level of risk presumably then coming in yes. because of that vicious circle because presumably you don't want to drink and eat when you're feeling that awful and the cycle of symptoms continues yeah and often it just will not stay down I, I remember being highly motivated to to drink water and just not being yes. able to keep anything yeah. in yeah so one thing I would say if you're struggling get yourself to the GP because often yes. this happens before you have contact with a midwife Yes. Which is yes, a real shame. Of course, that initial booking in appointment, of course, I've forgotten all this because my kids are a little bit older, but there is a considerable wait, isn't there, often from finding out to having that booking in appointment. Yeah, so don't um, wait, don't wait. Yes. So many people that I work with, they wait until that appointment because they don't want to bother their That's GP. That's a good point, yes. Or they yes. think that their GP won't have anything up their sleeve that they can offer yes. other than medication, which people are often really frightened about. Um, so I would really recommend get yourself to your GP as soon as it becomes difficult for you to manage. As yes. soon as you start not being able to do things that you would normally do in your everyday life, yeah. Yeah. go to your GP. The other thing I would do at the same time, at that exact same point, is access pregnancy sickness support which is a, a UK charity right. who have tons of information on their website. Plus, con you can have contact with peer supporters. They have a counselling service. But if you, when you start on this journey, sadly, you may need to advocate for yourself. So when you right. see that GP for the first time, some GPs are brilliant. And I've, I've met at conferences and things, I've met amazing GPs who absolutely will scoop you up, give you all your options and take care of you. But there are other GPs out there that maybe they haven't had that training. Right. Of maybe, course, yeah. yeah. Maybe they, you know, think that HG means 25% loss of body weight or, you know, they've got some old statistics in their head and they, they don't make the referrals that they could make. If you have a look at the Pregnancy Sickness Support website, you can look at what should be available to you. And then if you don't get offered it immediately, you can ask for it. And I think that is so important to empower yourself with that information. Absolutely. If you feel too sick, get a partner or a friend or somebody that cares about you to read that information for you and print it out and you can yes. take it along. And because Absolutely. I know I couldn't access the internet when I was um, pregnant. So I don't want to assume that people can because, um, you know, podcasts were my life because <laughs> I couldn't, didn't have to look at anything. Say, it's just looking at those different inputs, isn't it? And what you can manage when you feel nauseous. So looking yes. at the screen with things moving, um, technology these days, there's a lot of adverts, pop-ups and things as well that actually could probably I hadn't thought of that make you feel actually quite poorly oh it's diabolical um, on the top of what you yeah the idea of scrolling is just yes. horrendous horrendous yes. um so you know making sure that you've got somebody on your side who can get that information for you if you're not up to it yourself because it will also help you work out what you want to do because there are medications that you know, maybe some GPs don't realise are safe. Um, maybe there's a lot of misconceptions about. But on the Pregnancy Sickness Support website, you've got links to the research that 
can help you make an informed decision about what you're comfortable with taking in your pregnancy. Um, and I mentioned that because autonomy is really important. It is. And it, it helps you feel like a real person again, yes. which is such a big part of the mental health puzzle. Um, because for me, yes, the sickness was terrible, but the depression that came with it made it much worse than it, it needed to be. Um, and that depression descended very, very quickly. And I think, you know, when we're talking about severe sickness and mental health, we have to acknowledge that there are these building blocks that create mental well-being in our lives. Yeah. You know, if we all rely on them. They're like the ingredients for a good life. And severe pregnancy sickness can strip those away overnight. You know, overnight, you're unable to access your social support. Um, overnight, your meaning and purpose gets eroded because you can't do your work or you can't do your creative projects um, or you can't be in that sports team that you've always been in. You know, all of these things that give our lives meaning and purpose and connection Absolutely. can be taken away very, very quickly. And so if, if that is happening to you, then you need to get yourself to your GP to get advice on the physical management because there are things that they can do right then and there in that appointment. Um, but also, I would ask for a mental health referral at that point, because there are perinatal mental health services that have expertise in supporting you with this. I will make so, sure this is in our show notes as well, actually, just as a recap, because I think that's really important. Yeah, and, and you're entitled to ask for a referral to those, and your GP should feel comfortable to make one if they don't refer them to pregnancy sickness support <laughs> because they've got a section for professionals which provides a lot of guidance on, on what they can do them absolutely do you know yeah. the thing that i've learned so much <laughs> just the short space of time the thing that's really shown up for me then is just the acute nature of which a sickness can come on as a you know as a condition of pregnancy also when you're starting we're getting very graphic so we should probably put a warning to say to people baby, <laughs> sorry if you're just about to eat your lunch or you just have but let's get it out there so that's what that's what this is here for it's just the acute nature at which you can suddenly need to be sick so all of the logistical stuff you've got to plan you know we're kind of having a little bit of a joke about is the bin and is it deep enough and where is it but this is what a lot of women are going through dozens and dozens of times a day and that is the kind of thing eventually that has an impact on your mental health and your overall well-being so there's the acute nature but also how we need to then help you with that uncertainty it's a difficult time anyway when you first learn that you're pregnant there's a lot of thoughts that go through your mind about being a parent is how we can help people manage uncertainty so as psychologists what we do is try and help people get little bits of control where they can so what you can do then from what you're saying is look at the sources of information that are available to you make informed choices if you're not up to being able to do that because of the physical limitations of having this condition is that you can then utilize those around you but is it also good then for partners or significant others birthing partners to be part of that anyway then so they can learn about the condition but also perhaps take on some extra tasks if you're not able to do that yeah absolutely I think something that we found in the research and that I see with my clients all the time yes is that the relationship with the significant people in your life often really goes downhill right. during this period right. and I think a lot of that is because people don't know how to help 
Yes. It's, yeah. it's so hard. We're practical problem solvers, aren't we, as humans? Yeah. And when we see somebody suffering, we want to make it better. And when we can't we do, do that, often that leads to, you know, frustration or just avoidance of the person. Yes. Yeah. And and this is at a time when when you're really sick, you need that connection more than ever. So actually, yes, if you can let people in early, give them something practical they can do to help you. At the same time, they may also learn about the yes. kinds of things they yeah. could be doing to support you. Because what's difficult is when you feel that bad, actually thinking creatively about, you know, oh, what could you take off my plate or what could you do? For me, I just wasn't able to ask for help because I couldn't think. Yes. Um, so actually, this is and where I really... what you needed and what you didn't need even exactly and this is where i think um pregnancy sickness support provides some really good uh, resources and you know blog posts and social media content that could really help partners and other close people understand how they can offer some support at a difficult time um i should say i also have my own resources um, yes. i have a i have a substack called pregnant and sick which is uh, a blog and a podcast which i'm adding to all the time but it's basically practical tools really for for things that you can you know put in your earbuds and and maybe give you a little bit of relief start practicing moving that attention around yes. so that it's not all 100% focused on the nausea all the time um, because so that's the I'll other make thing make sure that those are all in our show notes and that's the other thing I'd recommend, just starting early. So don't wait until you think you meet some threshold. Like get started with a bit of mindfulness straight away. And, and obviously I, I'm creating resources that are very specific for this you know, time in your life. Yes, but yes. there are tons of meditation apps out there that will help you start training your attention. So, you know, come and find what I've got at Pregnant and Sick, but also have a look at stuff like Insight Timer and Headspace and Calm. Um, and just, you know, find something that resonates with you and that allows you to just play with that attention a little bit. Because if you can master that skill, it's really going to help you manage as you come through your pregnancy. And as we both know, it'll help you deal with anything else that might come up afterwards as well. It's a very useful skill to have. And I really wish I'd done it in my first pregnancy. For me, I didn't discover it until pregnancy number two. So I can tell you how much difference it made. Because in pregnancy number two, I, I was able to do radically more wow. than I and could in pregnancy number one. That's what we want to hear. It's the, sometimes you can read really helpful things in books and journal articles, but it's that lived experience, I think, that's also really helpful for people to hear. Um, and I'm thinking as well, you know, as psychologists quite often will talk about, or I use this all the time, the kind of well-being baseline. It's the stuff that some of my patients always say is a really boring part of work. But, <laughs> you know, if you can get your well-being baseline, and that sounds like you're saying in a what are the foundations for you that keep your mental health in tip-top condition? But what's really interesting, again, when we come back to that word acute, when you um, had your first pregnancy, you said, actually, for you, a lot of your foundations or your building blocks were things you suddenly couldn't do overnight. So it wasn't the kind of gradual, you know, as you go through pregnancy, you may have to change your exercise regime to suit different stages or, you know, change some of your wellness practices. But... It seems so so acute then that actually you had some of your stabilizers taken over literally overnight by the sounds of it yeah for me that was very much the experience yeah I think yeah that was something I didn't know could happen yeah so yeah. that's why I'm so passionate to talk about it because for me that felt like a failing yeah. I felt yeah. like I should be able to do spinning until week 30 or whatever it is I had all the recommendations printed out for yes. all the different activities I did 
and which makes me sound old, doesn't it? Um, but I did, and I, I was convinced I was going to be doing this until this date and this until this date, and none of that happened, and it was really traumatic. Well, I'm which just is the other thing I think we yes. need to talk about here yeah. Yeah. is that there are lots of experiences that go along with severe sickness, which yes. which fall into that trauma category. Yeah, and I was very lucky that I didn't experience the worst of them. Um, some of my clients come to me with stories which are really horrific you know they've had to go through extremely invasive treatments to to keep them alive keep their baby healthy things like being fed for a tube um and you know they've had to make decisions that are extremely difficult under extremely challenging circumstances and and I was never hospitalized I haven't been through that really difficult traumatic side of things but there yes. are small traumas as well, as well as those big ones. There are the small traumas along the way, like maybe somebody you thought really cared about you reacting in an unhelpful way or. Yes. Yeah. Or point. maybe it's realizing that, you know, your team at work didn't value you as much as you thought they did. You know, I, I hear about traumatic experiences all the time and I, and I went through a few of them myself which again they impact on your mental health and you know you've talked on this podcast so many times about how trauma can do that to us and I think it's really important to attend to that um but they also impact on you physically because when we're carrying around that trauma often it manifests in a physical way and that could be in the stomach making sickness worse it could be around the throat or the chest making it difficult for us um, to you know, live life in the best way that we can. So attending to that trauma early, and again getting that support either you know, privately if, if that's what you want to do, or through your perinatal mental health team, is so important. And women just don't come forward for it. They don't come forward usually until after the the birth, when they then feel like it might be impacting on their baby in some way. And I was going to say, are there reasons? Is there research out there that indicates why it is that people go a bit later for that support? Is it just around noticing difficulties with baby and bonding, perhaps? Or I think think there's a lot of factors involved. Um, From what we can see, people often have a bit of a negative relationship with their primary care provider. Right. So often they may express that they did ask for help and they weren't pointed in the right direction. So getting the right, which I think is improving. Right I think thing. that is improving. I'm seeing yes. doctors at conferences, and you know, people are much more alive to this subject than they used to be in the medical community. So I think that is improving, but I can imagine it still happens sometimes. And then there's also the prioritization. Like when you're feeling really, really terrible physically, it doesn't actually occur to a lot of people to think about mental health and how that might play a part. You know, even for me, I was a clinical psychologist and it didn't really occur to me to do anything about my mental health in that first pregnancy. So often I think it needs to be suggested to people at the right time. And that so things like through a podcast or through support services saying it's okay. Especially maybe if you're met with some criticism or people who might be doubting what you're going through or not understanding it, that that may possibly then compound. Absolutely. I think you're in a really vulnerable space. So somebody saying, oh, well, it's not as bad as so-and-so's, that is like a knife to the heart and you might not. And that's a very classic thing (laughs) that we can be met with, with any experience. Um, I 
we could literally it's no wonder you've got your own podcast as I said this this topic you could just have episode after episode on there's so much there um, I'm wondering if at a later date maybe we could do an episode on the mental health implications of it as well I still can't say the word I'm going to cheat and say hg so if people want to find out more about you and they're going to need to where can we signpost them to? And obviously you have your different hats on. Don't yes, you? well, come over to my Substack. Um, come and subscribe to Pregnant and Sick. Um, I update it as often as I possibly can with blog posts and podcasts, which are designed really for when you're in the thick of it. So if you're struggling with pregnancy sickness right. or there's somebody close to you in your life that's struggling and you want to support them. So come and find me over there if this topic is particularly relevant to you. Um, I've also got my therapy website, which is drrosie.co.uk. So you can find me there and there's a link to the Substack on that as well. If you happen to be a psychologist or therapist, then do come and find my podcast, uh, The Business of Psychology, because I, yeah, I'd love that. I'd love to see you over there. Um, But thank you for having me. Fantastic resource, isn't it? (laughs) Absolutely fantastic. There is one thing I have to say. I know we're tight on time, but I have to say it before I go. If you've been listening to this and you feel really sick, but you're not being sick, this all still applies to you. That's a good point. You don't have to be being sick to struggle with severe sickness. It's the the guidance around it has changed. So that's now in the clinical guidelines too. Um, But if you have nausea, which is debilitating and it's stopping you living your life, a lot of people think that they don't deserve support because they're not being sick 30 times a day. Actually, you still do. You still count. You still matter. Come and get some help. Absolutely do. That comes back literally full circle to what you're saying, actually. It's just, you know, redefining what criteria are and who says, you know, but what you're going through isn't valid. Um, So I think one big takeaway then. So just before you go, what would be your one little nugget? That's my signature move. What would be your one adversity takeaway for our listeners? I think it is remember that you matter, that you're worth support and that there is support available to you. Go take it. Absolutely. And then all of the support and things that we've talked about will be in the show notes, but also in our various social media channels as well for people to just click, make it easy. You don't have to go and Google it and find it out. Thank you so much, Rosie. It's an absolute honor to have you on my podcast. Um, I'm really, really thrilled that we got to start to talk about this. And let's at a later date look at mental health. I'd love that. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Psychologist podcast. It's so lovely to have you here. I'm Dr. Tara Quintrarillo and you can find me at drtara.co.uk. You'll see everything I'm up to, free resources, my media work and my new COVID recovery clinic as well. Remember to please rate and review my podcast. It really helps people to benefit from the narratives of overcoming adversity if they know where to find us. The Adversity Psychologist podcast, helping you on step at a time.